couple of weeks ago, I uh, <clears throat> was looking through Facebook Messenger chat, and you're allowed to go back to a certain time. I was trying to go back to 2010, see old conversations between me and Christy, because uh, we really started talking to each other a lot on Facebook Messenger. Wasn't able to go back that far, but I was able to go back to 2011 before I even proposed to her. And uh, just in chat one time, I made the, the joke, hey, you're invited to the church on Saturday. Just bring a white dress and all your friends and family. And, you know, that was my proposal. And <laughs> she told me, I hope uh, in reality it's a lot better than that. <laughs> so I bring that up to say is that we as couples, uh, if, you know, if you're married, we like to think about at times those first moments, don't we? We like to think about those love letters. We like to think about first dates. And uh, and even though I knew that Christy and I chatted and stuff, but going back looking through those conversations, it's not like I knew every single thing we said and I was being reminded of things we said and talked about. And so whenever we come to a series like Doctrine, I know all of you were super excited to hear that we're going to spend 10 weeks looking at Doctrine. But for the 90% of you who aren't excited, um, I envision it as looking at old love letters, going back to those foundations of what we know to be true, and really revisiting again, what, what do we believe, and why do we believe that? Why does it resonate with us? And so, just a little quick tidbit to throw at you, why don't we go ahead and open with prayer Father, it's important to know what we believe about God because it shapes our entire lives if we are worshipers. We want to worship the God of the Bible. We want to worship the God that's been revealed to us by your Holy Word. Because, Father, if we worship a God made in man's image or if we worship a God that's not the true God, it's going to lead us astray because... We become what we worship. You made us in your image. So help us to truly reflect you. Father, may you remind us today that there is a God. May you encourage us today that it is none other than the God that's presented to us in your holy word. And may that become a real vivid truth that we can take with us as we navigate continually the world that we're in. May you be the one speaking and not I. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I said, we're starting today on doctrine. And I think as Americans, we like, well, some of us like for some reason, and this is not a judgment if you do, but we like fast food. (laughs) We like sound bites. We like, I'm one of these people, I just read the headlines. (laughs) Every now and then I do the right thing and I click and I read the entire article before I then get angry and blow up. We have a tendency when we come to the things of God that practical, quick, very relevant, not too much thinking required sermons are best. That we will just grow best if we received the the briefest information. I don't think that's true. See, today we start very elementary in terms of doctrine, and that is simply this, God. 
There is a God. God exists. And that's very relevant for all of us today because as we look around and we do see polarizations and we see corruption and we see natural disasters or maybe not so naturally started disasters but man-made fires or we see brutality and injustice and corruption, there's something in our hearts. There's something actually given to us by a just, righteous God that wants remedy. We're tired of electing leaders who disappoint. We want a sovereign who will never disappoint. We're tired of corrupt leaders who we can't trust. We want an altogether good leader who we can trust without a doubt. We are tired of trying to legislate morality. We want morality birthed inside of us by an altogether just, perfect, and righteous lawgiver. And the good news today is that there's a reason we want that. It's because we have that. There's a reason why some in the midst of 2020 have hope and others who have no hope in 2020 can have hope. There's a reason that every good story we read, every good movie we watch seems so much better when it ends well and the bad guys are locked up and put away if they haven't decided to come to their senses and be good guys. There's, there's a reason that the bad guys done away with or bad guys becoming good guys are our only desired outcomes in stories. It's those stories that make us happy most. There's a reason that most comic book heroes that we know are people who seem to be outside of the human race or above the human race. Nevertheless, they ultimately care and save the human race. It's because deep down in us we know that God exists. We know that God exists. We're in the Northwest Yearly Meeting of Friends, and like many denominations, they have a faith and practice. Other denominations call this manuals or articles of faith. We have a laid out series of ten doctrines that the yearly meeting rightfully, I believe, dials back on what I would call denominational uniqueness. And they just call these essential Christian truths. That these things we dive into aren't new. And though they might be statements crafted and approved by our yearly meeting, they aren't expressing new trendy doctrines but rather doctrines, tightly professed and confessed beliefs, shared by the Christian faith. And the first doctrine is entitled, God as Creator, but I've retitled it simply because on God. (laughs) Because the statement itself seems to be more generally about God than just specifically on His being the Creator. And the statement altogether says this, God as Creator, we believe God is the Creator, and sustainer of the cosmos, whose creative work provides the basis for order, beauty, purpose, and rationality. God is holy and eternal. He is loving, almighty, and all-wise. He reveals Himself and His will to His creation. He illuminates humankind through rational understanding, experience, and direct revelation. He speaks through the Scriptures. We believe that in redeeming humanity, God is bringing the universe into a glorious expression of His purpose and joy of this hope, we offer Him honor and praise. See, the first segment of this doctrine we're looking at talks about who God is. Who God is. And there seems to be a threefold under this first point. That is, God is an active Creator. 
He is an innovative cultivator. He says those are big words. We'll get there. And he is preeminent. See, first, God is an active creator. Again, the, the statement reads, we believe God is the creator and sustainer of the cosmos. The Bible unashamedly begins with three truths. Genesis 1.1 In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we know that there is a beginning, there's a God, and He's a creator. And by stating God, singular deity, He is responsible for creating the heavens and the earth, tells us that there's only one God. The Creator. Furthermore, we see in this one phrase that because God is the Creator of the heavens and the earth in the beginning, that before whatever beginning, there was God. (laughs) He was already here in the beginning. Moses sings in Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2, he says, Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. What's interesting is that people like Paul see in God's very creation the most obvious evidence for God's very existence. Paul writes in Romans 1, 19 and 20, he says, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. What's interesting is I know that many who doubt or flat out reject God's existence altogether, they actually think creation is a big factor in their theory of godlessness. The devil, and by the devil I mean evil in general, but sourced from him in particular, is so deceitful that it's humorous at times. He takes what the Bible calls the most plainest shred of evidence, pointing to our Creator, and he uses it as ammo to doubt God's existence. Paul saw this in his own day. He continued in Romans 1, 21 and 22. He says, For although they knew God... They did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Claiming to be wise, coming up with theories to demonstrate God's not real, they became fools. They miss out on the biggest, most obvious evidence of the existence of God. Think with me through this, it's going to be very hard. Paintings have painters. Gardens have gardeners. I know, I married one. (laughs) Farms have farmers. Some of you wish they didn't have to have farmers. Ranches have ranchers. Books have authors. Sermons have preachers. And creation has a creator. Not only is this scientifically verifiable, the fact that it's simple, sheer logic... (laughs) is probably what Paul was banking on when he wrote these words. Some are wise and believe he's a creator, but then they enter into what is called deism, coming from the word deity, belief that there is a God, but then also believe he's not an active creator. 
that perhaps he started some processes and for the most part he's backed off from creation. But the Bible presents quite the opposite, though. In fact, the author of Hebrews says that God upholds the universe by the word of his power. The entire universe is just hanging on the word of God. It reminds me of what Jesus says in the Gospel of John. My father is working until now and I am working. Jesus is saying that in response to some Jews who were persecuting him, to use the words of John 5.16, the preceding verse, and they were persecuting Jesus because he healed someone on the Sabbath. How dare he? And even though that the Scriptures tell us that God rested on the Sabbath, Jesus' point is that God's still working. He's still with us. He's sustaining the universe. And... In fact, the very person of Jesus shows us that God is not only an active creator, he is personally and intimately involved in humanity. That is the point of John 1, that in the beginning was the word God, and then that word became flesh and dwelt among us. Our God is an active creator. He creates the world. He's still active in it. Secondly, God is an innovative cultivator. Our statement says that his creative work provides the basis for order, beauty, purpose, and rationality. To kind of be preparing for this series and this book, I've been dipping in a book called Doctrine. And the authors make this point here that there, there are a few longings shared among all human hearts. I kind of tapped into that to open the sermon, but most people long for trustworthy selfless, unending love from somebody else. Most people, especially in 2020, long for a way to live in peace and harmony in light of our diversity. Some people just want to get rid of the people we don't think about but or don't think like us. Most people long for communication, that is to know and be known. Most people long for community, heartfelt, genuine, transparent community. Most people, even though this isn't considered a virtue, they do long for humility. To be humble and to receive service from humble people. Most people long for peace. Most people long for selfless common good. And these longings are all reflections of and reflected in our triune God, Trinity God is a community of three who are all peace-loving, humble, serving, perfectly communicating persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is a triune God who said, Let us, not I shall, but let us, plural, make man in our image after our likeness. We reflect the triune God. And if we reflect God, we also reflect His creativity. Now track with me. I'm going to use, I guess an alliteration is what this calls. If the Creator makes creation, and that's us, in His image, then the Creator is replicating replicating Himself. And by definition, we become creators. (laughs) See, we, we look at the world and we see what David sees in, in, uh, Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. 
In other words, we look at the order and the beauty of creation and even the rationale of creation. You probably have heard that our planet is precisely in the universe where it should be so we're not fried or frozen in relation to our sun. And these are all reflections of God's character. And therefore, by us being made in His image, it reflects us. God speaks to our deepest longings. And our deepest longings are to ultimately actually to worship Him and to glorify Him. I bring this up from time to time, but Isaiah 43 gives us the purpose of our creation. God says, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Verse 21 of that same chapter the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Do you hear the purpose of our creation there? That God made us in His image to image Him, to glorify Him. We praise Him, we point to Him, and in doing so, we fulfill our God-given task. And in fulfilling that, we will be fulfilled, if that's what we're made for. Our God is an active creator, he's an innovative cultivator, and he's preeminent. The statement in our doctrine goes on to say that God is holy and eternal, he is loving, almighty, and all-wise. So we don't, not only do we believe in God by virtue of saying, well, there's creation, so there's a creator. Or we need an intelligent designer, and overseer who's always working, so he exists. But we also believe that God has Character. God has substance to Him. He is holy. Did you know this is the part about God that sets Him apart? In fact, holy means set apart. But in all of creation and in all cultures, there is no other God. Maybe there are other gods who claim to be holy, but I should say that there is no other God that shows Himself to be holy. Who knows, maybe the Islamic Allah claims to be holy, but then he turns around and his character is tarnished by commanding his adherents to lie to non-Muslims and to kill them. Our holy God is holy by virtue of being unstained with sin. And also always wishing his people to be unstained from sin as well. I've always been moved by this great image from Isaiah. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, and two with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Some of you know how that looks right now. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We see this, this contrast, this transcendence of, of majesty, height, and weight of God, contrasted with the, the sinfulness of Isaiah, a lost, unclean man. A prophet in the remnant of Israel, no less, but you know the story here in Isaiah 6. What's the first thing that God then does? He touches him and says his sins are atoned for. And it shows us this, that God is both big, majestic, awe-inspiring, eternal, transcendent, and almighty, but then he's also personable. And he loves. 
We already referred to it again, the story of John 1. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, before all things already, was the Word. I wonder if you know in John 1 what that word, Word, means. It's uh, logos or logos or, you know, tomato or tomato. And Greeks saw it as this impersonable force or reason that brings order into the universe. But John makes the impersonal personal and he gives it a name. And so in essence, he is saying in John 1, he says, sure, Logos was here in the beginning. Reason was here at the beginning of the world. There was intelligence. But then he says that intelligence was God. (laughs) And then in fact, that reason could also be described as wisdom. And wisdom is personified in Proverbs 8. It says, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work of the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. And so, it is this word, reason, logos, wisdom, that becomes flesh in Jesus and dwells among us. So, from big, impersonal, preeminent, to here, personal and tangible. This is who God is. He's an active creator. He's an innovative cultivator. He is preeminent. In the beginning, God already was preeminent before all things. That's who God is. Well, how does he communicate? That's what our doctrine handles in the next sentences. He basically communicates or he reveals himself by reasonable means and by supernatural means. The reasonable means are stated this way. He reveals himself and his will to his creation. He illuminates humankind through rational understanding and experience. This is a beautiful thing about God, the God we serve. So again, he's the one true God. He's the only God. He's the transcendent God of the universe. He made creation, but then he made people to do life with them. Do you remember how Genesis opens? Here is a perfect world, a perfect God, a perfect people, and a perfect garden, living in a perfect life with him. And they weren't communists. That's our joke. (laughs) But that's God's design, and that's God's desire. So it's only sensible that even after humanity separates this perfection, that God still desires to communicate with us, and he does. The communication can't be had perfectly, though, because of sin. Even so, he still reveals himself. The reasonable means he does it through rational understanding and experience. I was thinking about that. This what's interesting is that most, if not all the nations and peoples we've ever come into contact has had religion. When the world was being explored, and maybe there are tribes still yet to be explored, I believe there are. I know of no tribe ever discovered to be atheistic. Every tribe had spirituality. This isn't lost on Paul. He never he comes to Athens in Acts 17 and he comes to Mars Hill, a place where all the philosophers, all the thinkers, all the intellectuals like to get together and think about the junk I'm talking about. And and even at the height of the social elite, the super thinkers, even they back then didn't think it was wise to disregard God altogether. Unlike superhumanist, secularist thinking, 
It was only a wise to assume that gods did exist. It was most rational. It was most logical to believe that. And Paul taps into that in Acts 17. And he says, the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth. So there is Paul echoing Genesis 1 by virtue of how that's worded. It assumes that God is one. Paul says creation wasn't shared. It wasn't a shared thing by many gods. Rather, Paul is talking about the God who made the world and everything in it, the Lord, the sovereign of heaven and earth, a phrase reiterating everything. (laughs) He is the one true God and he does not live in temples made by man like the temple Paul is standing in when he gives this speech. Verse 25, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. And here's the reason that God made them. I mentioned this earlier, a perfect God, a perfect people, a perfect garden. But even though that perfection is broken by sin, God's mandate for humanity is still this. Verse 27, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. But note this, it's not that God is playing hide and seek. (laughs) That's not why Paul is saying this, but rather Paul says, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Paul recognizes in humanity that there's something deep inside the human existence that knows. They know God has to exist. Again, wise fools who think operating in life out of a belief in godlessness, atheism, is foolish in Paul's mind. Even these ancient Romans believed in deities. They at least had that going for them. But Paul is saying there's a reason everybody believes in gods because the one true God does exist. And indeed, His design and desire is to do life with us. Human experience and human rationale is a way that God speaks to us. When we are grieved at injustice, it's because God, who is perfectly just and righteous, is speaking to us. When we long for redemption and remedy, that's God who is a redeemer and has provided a remedy through Jesus speaking to us. Human experience, human rationale. But then God takes it further And indeed, communicates to us in supernatural ways, supernatural means. This doctrine continues stating that he speaks by direct revelation. He speaks through the scriptures supernaturally. Now, I've heard it been said, and I agree, that we as humans have a completely off-kilter frame of reference. All of you and I know, all you and I know is a fallen world. We think that's normal. Sometimes 2020 happens and we say, this is not normal. But for the most part, we think a fallen world is normal. In God's perspective, normal is that perfect world, perfect garden, perfect God, perfect people having perfect communication. And so what's supernatural for us, God speaking to us directly, whether that means by dreams, Holy Spirit, impressions on the heart, or through the Scriptures, that's actually natural. (laughs) That's normal. 
The world is supposed to be natural, normal, perfect, or good, as Genesis 1 would say over and over. God still speaks through direct revelation. In fact, I'm bold enough to say that the Holy Spirit is doing a work right now in your heart, or if in your conscience there's a voice stating to you, this is all true. (laughs) Everything in my mind and heart makes sense that I know God exists. That's the Holy Spirit. That's direct revelation. Jesus says in John 15, 26, He says, but when the Helper comes, the Helper being Jesus' term for the Holy Spirit here, whom I will send to you for the, <clears throat> from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. The Spirit speaks, Jesus is saying. He bears witness about Jesus, God in the flesh. Paul says, these things that God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything and even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? I've used this illustration before. I like John Wesley's writings. I really can't understand them. (laughs) So I have to read them over and over. Imagine if somehow he was alive, sitting in the room with me, trying to talk to me, and I told him to shut up that I'm trying to read his book so I can understand it. It's ludicrous, of course, because the author's right there and he says, well, just ask me what I meant and I'll tell you, except for he would say it in a nice British accent. So that's what Paul is saying, is that we have access to the very Spirit of God. And so when we hear His words, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. God knows what He's talking about. (laughs) Verse 12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. God speaks to us. The Holy Spirit lives. God knows what He's written. God knows His heart. And that same God speaks to us. Another primary way that God speaks to us, His Word. There's an entire doctrine on this. And in fact, a lot of the material I'm going through today, there are doctrines on. But for the sake of time, it's relevant now to say that God's supernatural revelation comes to us through His Word. Do you know that the Bible you have in your hands, 66 books by over 40 authors written over 1,500 years from multiple continents in three languages, all put together one way or another in front of you on a given day? In one book and in one language. How does that happen? I think God wants to talk to you. God wants to talk to you and He does by His Holy Spirit and He does through His Word. This is very practical. If you look around at 2020 and say, God, I need a word from you, you have a word from Him. This doctrine has expressed who God is, how He's communicating, and it ends on what He's doing. We believe that God exists. The human heart knows this. And we hear his voice and the enemy wants us to believe that it's muffled and quiet. But if we think about it, Paul says he's not far from any of us. He's really speaking loud and clear. And our active creator is still here and he's doing something. The the doctrine expresses it this way. Namely, that God is redeeming humanity. He's redeeming creation. And then lastly, he's redeeming us. Our doctrine starts one of its last sentences simply saying, we believe that in redeeming humanity, aren't you glad you live in a world with only one God and this is what God wants to do? (laughs) This is what God has done. 
We don't live in a world ruled by a vindictive, angry, Roman, pagan-like, tyrannical, morally ambiguous, junior high, moody, vindictive God. (laughs) No, again, a perfect God who created a perfect world with perfect people to have perfect union. And when we failed, when sin entered, he says, I'll clean it up. (laughs) The way that word redeem first shows up and how God redeems humanity is actually in the Exodus story. In Exodus 6.6, God tells Moses, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great acts of judgment. And Egypt becomes this symbol of the world, of our sin, of sin and evil and corruption in the world. And God and His saving the Israelites becomes this picture of freedom from the world, freedom from sin and evil and corruption. And that's what God does. That's who God is, is a Redeemer, the Redeemer. So that when you and I come to God, we can be redeemed. When people are invited to God, they can be redeemed. When the world is lifted up to God in prayer, it has been through Jesus, and it is through Jesus, and will be through Jesus, redeemed. At the heart of what describes our God is redemption. Through Jesus, you are brought out from under the burdens of this world, and you are delivered from the slavery of sin, with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment, we are redeemed. But God doesn't stop there. He's also redeeming creation. Our statement says that God is bringing the universe into a glorious expression of His purpose. If there is one thing that I personally want to take away from this sermon is this. I personally want to look at all the news. I want to look at all the world. I want to look at all the political opponents all the ideological opponents, and I want to know this because it's true. That is God's. He owns it. The psalmist says in Psalm 24, 1, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, and those who dwell therein. I don't think the psalmist left anything out in that verse. Do you know that? Do you really know that? The saying here means everything and everyone. It's all God's. God created it and God owns it. And if God owns it, then know that every single thing that is happening right now is in the hands of our great, glorious, majestic, sovereign, redeeming, loving, just, and righteous God. Which means He has a purpose and He has a destination and He has the resources to bring about His purpose and His destination because this whole universe is His. And he owns it. It's all his. And he made a world that was at first good and perfect. And when the world ends, the word tells us, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. (laughs) 
I don't know about you, but I'm accustomed to thinking little. Accustomed to thinking small, to thinking, yes, God redeems me on the inside. I have a new heart. I became a new person. And, and then I think, well, he's doing that for everyone who comes to him. New hearts, spiritual change. I can't see it. But we read it today in Matthew. The word of God tells us this, that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It just starts small. You can't see it. But it's going to grow big. All of creation will not be missed. There will be no part in the universe that is not touched by His redemption or His glory. That is what God is doing. He's redeeming redeeming humanity. He's redeeming creation. And He's redeeming us. Our doctrine, first doctrine, finish this this way. In joy of this hope, we offer Him honor and praise. This is what knowing God should do. We're at doctrine one, but by, by virtue of knowing God and how God is revealed in his word, it should bring you and me hope that births joy. Hope that births joy. wonder if you need that today. Fires outside, election season is killing us because it never stops even after they're elected. COVID-19, whatever, God exists and it should birth joyous hope. Joyous hope. We can be a people of joy. I love the story behind the book of Philippians that here is Paul in chains in prison. He says, I think I'll write a book on joy. Seems like a great time to do it. (laughs) Arguably the most highlighted passage in the Bible. I've read a statistic that says on Kindles or e-readers, when they have Bibles, this is the most highlighted verses in the Bible. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, says the man in shackles writing a letter from prison. You, right now, by believing in our God and having a relationship through Jesus, with Him, through Jesus, can have the peace of God that surpasses understanding. In other words... How can you live in 2020 and have peace? It's beyond me, correct, because it's God's source and God supplied. It is beyond me. It's from God. goes back to the passages I mentioned earlier from Isaiah 43 and 7 and 21 that we were made to glorify God. We were made to praise Him. And so when we meet God and redeemed by God and we fall in love with God and we praise and worship Him, we start living into that God-given purpose. Friends, three things to sum up today that you can remember throughout the the week. God exists. God is good. And God owns the world. Can you say that with me? God exists. God is good. And God owns the world. Let's pray. Father... Not to be condescending, but it must be humorous to you to see a bunch of people argue and bicker and fight over politics because we think we have what it takes to redeem the world. Some want to legislate this, others want to get that progress in place, and others want to put this process in place, and we all think we have answers. Father, you have answers. You have the answer in Jesus Christ. Your perfect world was a world where the people were perfect, the place was perfect, the communication was perfect, the union was perfect. 
And you have provided that perfect kingdom again through Jesus Christ. Help us to not only be a part of that kingdom, to be reminded of it daily, but help us to be spreading that kingdom that, hey, we don't need to elect certain people. We can certainly do our part in the process, but we have the best answers in Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, sovereign over the universe. Thank you, Father, that you do exist, that you are good, and that you own the world. Help us to rest in that, and help us at the same time to be doing what you, Lord and King, would have us do, to continue to do your will here on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for all you do, and we ask and pray all this in your name. Amen.